and welcome to this week's Invisible Not Broken. And we are doing a special panel today that I've been dying to do with Eva from Wellacopia. We've done a few panels because I can't get enough of chatting with her, but we ended up just having a little bit of a conversation the other day. And I was like, this has to be on the air because I think a lot of us are dealing with this, which is how to make life decisions with chronic illness. So what do you think? <laughs> I think we're going to start with like schooling because I was just talking to a 16 year old with chronic illness and she was um, discussing like her class schedule and how she has to plan even just like at 16 her future around her blindness and her um, it's not called chronic fatigue anymore. It's called ME, I think. Yeah, I've noticed that they've always got the CFS slash ME. Yeah, I get so confused. What is but that? I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, like. When you're a teenager and you're like, I'm just going to start from teenager and we'll just go through all the life choices through your life. I think that's the easiest way to organize. But like, I'm like good. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, I, okay, so I have um, people in my life, their stories, so I won't say who, but um, like they have chronic illness and they have um, attention deficit disorder and trying to plan high school class schedules around that was even a thing. <laughs> like, it was crazy. Planning schedules. So I didn't know that I had fibro until I was 20. And then I found out about hypermobility when I was 22, even though I've had joint pain since I was 12, or at least that's when it started getting really bad. Uh, I can think about classes. I can tell you one thing that definitely influenced me in high school. And that is, and I actually found this out last week, devastatingly, that I was known as the ditzy nerd girl. Oh, oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, or I, like nerd lover. That's something I won't get into. But <laughs> okay, but you're you're like super young though. Like, was nerd still like the big negative it was then, or were you part of the cool generation of like nerds are awesome? Oh, I started that generation. Of course I you swear. did. <laughs> I paved the way, but I'm so glad you could. Like... <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. I uh, no nerds were definitely not beloved as they are today back when I was in high school uh but I thought they were diamonds in the rough and I followed them and befriended them and dated them and <laughs> hence nerd lover uh and I, I realized a lot of that was because I wanted to seem exceptional like they were mm -hmm. and in relation to my fibro fog and um also my hypermobility I found out that I I had a good reputation in high school because I was nice. Uh, I was in all the advanced placement classes with the nerds, but apparently people also used to note that I was ditzy and clumsy and were confused. Ah. Yes. Ah. Uh, and I was worried that people thought that about me and it turns out it's true. <laughs> uh, so that was, as I said, devastating. But, I mean, people still thought highly of me otherwise, I guess, so that's good. But whether I knew it or not, uh, fibro and hypermobility were definitely influencing me um, throughout my life, and obviously worse now, uh, because I would get fog and forget things, like not knowing what to say or say the wrong words, and then I would also fall a lot. Um, I, oh, and in, and in ballet school, so I've said on other podcasts, I was a professionally trained ballet dancer for 15 years, and I know you did ballet and dance as well. Uh, I had a really big, I assumed, depth perception issue because I would uh, bump into people all the time, which is why I was a good soloist and not a good choreographer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. You know that's part uh, of Eller Stainless, right? That like our our perception of where we are in the world is really messed up, so we keep like bumping into things and falling. Yep, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so I people just like they'll label me as silly and cute, and it wasn't until I can't believe it took me this long, but really about a month ago that I started. I actually wrote this like diary entry where I yelled at myself or yelled about myself and said. Why are you labeled this way? Why are you lab labeling yourself this way? And, uh, and, and it was a hard argument because it was a split between if you identify yourself a certain way, that will become your truth. And then there's also, well, I do have these conditions. So what's winning here? 
Yeah. That's a good question. Um, <laughs> yes. I a little tangent, but it all began in high school. So no, it it's good. Because, like, I was thinking, like, also, um, just, like, when you schedule your classes. Or do you schedule, like, if all that's available for your AP classes are in the afternoon, but your heart rate, like, so we didn't know I had POTS, but I was passing out by the afternoon. So all of my afternoon teachers thought I was an idiot because I couldn't stay conscious. Or, like, half half of the people I know now who knew me in high school thought I was on drugs. Which, mm. I, I'm too much of a control freak, people. It's not a moral issue. I'm just a control freak. Uh, no. <laughs> so I, it's... <laughs> yeah, and so, like, and I also don't test well because I can't sit up for long periods of time without the blood draining from my head. So while I did really well with papers and projects, I absolutely sucked at testing so my I, I'm not kidding my PSAT scores I went into the counselor to talk to them when I'm like 15 and they're like okay so we need to find something for you that's not college related you're not smart enough for college oh my god and that's so clearly untrue like, ah, I, I love you for saying that um, oh, you are you are clearly highly intelligent Zev, my husband, listens to the podcast too, oh, by the way. Hi, Zev. Love me. Oh. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, like, seriously, scratching behind the ears, I am easy. <laughs> um, but the um, the hard thing is, is when you're in high school and you really, like, I'm watching this with my own teenager. The world's big and scary. And when everyone's telling you you have potential, I think that can even be scarier. Because you're like, oh, my gosh, there's everything in front of me. I have no idea what to pick. and um, I think that when chronic illness starts like coming into this where a lot of teachers are not educated in how to deal with their sick students and they don't know what things to watch out for, I think that starts like actually changing your life choices because the things I was really interested in and loved, I didn't actually end up going into because I was told I wasn't smart enough for it. And yeah, yeah. Oh, I I wasn't as spirited then as I am now. Well, I did the opposite, but really not for the right reasons. And it goes with me befriending the nerds and wanting to be exceptional. And it was probably because I I knew I labeled myself, whether it was I, I really think it was subconscious, um, as this ditzy girl who desperately wanted to be one of the nerds. So I was like, I'm pretty good actually at chem and bio and I hang out with all these guys. So, and I like taking care of people. So what am I going to do? I'm going to be pre-med in college. Of course you are. (laughs) Yep. And then I'm going to try and find all these ways to be like an international doctor. I was uh, obsessed with a med sans frontier, like a doctors without borders. And just, I always tried to do something out of the box. And then three days after graduation, I was like, I don't want to be a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I was freaking out like life choices again. So, mm-hmm. so it was very much a downer where I'm like, oh, I can't do this or I shouldn't do this. Um, I was using a lot of excuses. And then it went to, oh, I should be a nutrition scientist because I've been unofficially studying nutrition my whole life. It requires the same prerequisites that I've already taken. And so, again, I did the same thing. And I did do well, and I loved it. But naturally, again, I wanted to take on something bigger, so I became an entrepreneur within nutrition. <laughs> um, and it goes on. So, look, I did, take, I did take a different route, and it got me to where I am today, but it got me here for the wrong reasons. Mm. So, so I find that notable as well. It was because I had to stand out and be better because I knew that I had all this pain and mental fatigue and fog. And I was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Every time I talk to you, I'm like, wow, it's like looking at a 10 year younger version of me much more mentally put together than I was at that time. Like I desperately wanted to be a nurse. Like that was like one of the things I really wanted to do, but I've never been physically able to stand for that long or to do those things. Like I just really wanted to go into the mental health field, like, and be the nice one. Like after, especially after having my babies and dealing with labor and delivery nurses who are like, 
Satan's own, and that would probably be, like, making Satan look way too mean. Like, these women were evil. <laughs> I'm like, I really want to do that so I could be nice to people who are in, like, scary situations. Like, I have good mannerisms with people who are freaking out. I would like to be there for people, but I could never physically do it. Wait, you thought they were all mean? The, the ones I had, I had one amazing one, and then I had two of, like, the most evil women I've ever met in my life. I like, I don't know why you hate women and you're a labor and delivery nurse, but apparently again, we're going to life choices. These people apparently had some sort of emotional disorders and they made very poor life choices for what they were mentally prepared to do. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that based on your experience. It's funny because when it comes to nurses, I generally will refer to them as angels because they have the terrible jobs. Uh -huh. Sorry. Sorry to nurses. Um, they don't get paid nearly as much as they should. And they like they do all they really do the, the grunt work behind the scenes and they're not always treated very well. So I don't, I'm not I guess I'm not talking about personalities. I guess I mean more like you went into this field. Good for you. Yeah. But but doesn't mean it's right for them. And no. Or maybe not labor and delivery. Maybe you go into being an ER nurse or. <laughs> yeah. Maybe yeah. they just are tired of hearing women like incapacitate. I don't, I don't know. I just, that was a random throw out there, but wow. Yeah. And so like, I just discussed, um, I was just talking to someone who wanted to sponsor the show and I'm going to give him a free plug cause he was awesome. Uh, but he was talking to me, he'll probably be coming on the show later and he's running the lemonade dating app because he has a chronic illness and he was talking to me about his dealing with dating or lack thereof of dating in high school. And I realized that like, yeah, my, I mean, I didn't have the other stainless and I didn't have, uh, well, I had the other stainless. I just didn't have like any, I had no diagnoses during this time. Like all through high school, I was just sick and in and out of hospitals, but that totally affected my dating life. Like, how about you? Did you have issues with dating with chronic illness and like decisions on like, do you date? Do you not date? Who do you date based on like, I always feel like it made me choose kinder people. Like, Well, yeah, I, I would say definitely influenced my dating probably more subconsciously than it did consciously. Again, maybe that denial exceptional thing. I don't know. But let's see, subconsciously, uh, I, so I obviously love dancing, but I would stay away from that on a first date just in case it didn't go well. I wanted to make sure they saw me, like got to talk to me fully and we didn't do something too active on a first date just in case. Uh, <laughs> yeah, passing out on a first date is a dangerous thing. Yeah, that wouldn't be the best. It's like, oh, I can't walk anymore. Sorry. <laughs> Get over. Oh, because I did happen. Oh, it, this was a second date. I, I actually forget about this. So other than dancing, I am actually, or was, very good. I will I will pat my back. I like, I was very good at skiing. Uh, it was the, really the only sport I could do. And, like, I got, you know, big quads. And I, I've learned since I was five. And then when I was, like, 22, I guess actually around the time I was diagnosed with hypermobility, um, I went on a skiing date with this guy who was really awesome. And after every single run, I was in excruciating pain. Like, I had to take everything off. Um, I had lost complete feeling. Well, like, I guess it was really – it was that weird numb and tingly that's also painful – Know what I mean? Yes. Like, <laughs> know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, very painful. Had to take off everything, go inside. And it's this awkward thing where like he wants to be with me, but clearly he's not smitten to the point where he's going to pay all this money to go skiing and then just stay there with me. So I would <laughs> get up again and I'd be like, no, I'm going to go ski because I love to ski and I'm good at it. And then it, the same thing kept happening. And I just felt so defeated. So if I say we didn't go on another date. Uh, <laughs> I'm amazed you guys went on like such a big date for a second date like that. <laughs> that just goes to show how well the first day went. Frankly, I don't remember because I probably tried to block it, but he suggested it and I was like, hell yeah, I get to show off. But uh, I guess I hadn't been in like two or three years at that point, maybe because of school and living abroad. Um, and I really hate admitting this now out loud just to myself. I haven't gone skiing since then. 
Wow. And I'm 28, so that's, that's six years ago. And wow, for God. someone who claims to be really good and loves skiing, that's sad. <laughs> well, I like, okay, so I love my parents. I've said this many times. They did the absolute best they knew what to do with. But something that, that came up when I was a teenager was uh, my dad would tell me, you cannot be alone. Like, you just, you'll never make it alone. Like, you have to have someone. And I don't, I, he will never remember saying this, um, but it hit me so hard. And honestly, in all absolute honesty, he's right. I, I absolutely could never live alone. It's dangerous. Like, I would always need to. But it really um, changed how I dated. Like, I never dated for fun. It was always, okay, well, I've got to find a spouse because I I will never be safe living alone. Like, it was such a, a I didn't get this. Well, I, first off, I had a baby really young, but I didn't get any, like, real just, like, dating, figure out who you want to be with time. Uh, so, yeah, in, in terms of that, I am sure it's not a coincidence that I went after sweet guys, smart guys. That was a common denominator for <laughs> sure. They, were, they all took care of me. They all treated me like gold, despite what ha- may have happened later. That was always true with them. Wonderful people that took care of me. And and then the smart thing, I guess, was I translated smart to being um, successful. Turns out that's really just not the case. <laughs> Sometimes it backfires. Huh, we have an entire administration to prove that. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> you thought I could just get away with, like, no politics for 10 minutes? No, 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 no. Mm. Sorry. Okay, I'll step back. Yes. <laughs> Um, so I knew that, I mean, there's a lot of reasons for each thing that I looked for, but so obviously I would like someone who's successful or clear potential for success for lots of reasons like respect. Um, but a lot of it I know was because I felt like I'd need to be taken care of in case I couldn't do whatever I wanted to do, uh, that I had a safety net. And as I hope it's apparent that I'm a go-getter and, you know, I, I have this startup and like another little business. Uh, but I'm also in touch with reality that things could get worse and maybe I won't be able to do that. Um, and, and we'll get to my later life preparations in a bit. Oh yeah. Um, no, we're, we're definitely going there. Yeah. Cause that's, that's next. Um, <laughs> no, but, we're going to talk college next and then we'll get there. <laughs> so, so, but also with dating, um, there's the, do you tell the person or not? Oh my gosh, right. Okay, so like, when do you tell a person? Like, <laughs> Yeah, um, so so I can definitely speak in terms of my husband's Zev, but I know that there were other instances where I talked about it. I, I Oh, ooh, <laughs> we're in it, hopefully not a TMI situation, but this is actually quite funny. Have you listened to the podcast? Do we, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay. you have Kira's talking about Jackson Pollock, like, oh, we're good. <laughs> Yeah. All right. All right. So I guess I'll talk about this. Let's see how I'm going to talk about it. Okay. <laughs> so this is, uh, I, I just laugh at this every time I think about it. Okay. So there is a guy, just imagine like this. He, he's just, he's beautiful. He's like an Adonis, like really blonde hair. Also like, uh, going to med school and he's just like very, not for everyone, but in a very general sense, like this perfect specimen and, and he really likes me. And we go on, um, I think we're on our second date. Everything is going really well. And because he's in med school, I decide to drop the whole, I have these illnesses bomb casually. And I'm like, but don't worry, they're not that bad. Like, generally speaking, I have a normal life. And um, I think he texted me a day or two later saying that he's really sorry he likes me, but he doesn't think it's going to work. And I said, do you mind telling me why? Ha! And I finally got it out of him. This this is the best part. It's he said, "I think I'm a too much of a ruffian for you." A ruffian? <laughs> a ruffian. I was like, "Explain." <laughs> and he said, "Well, you mentioned that you're hypersensitive, which is true." And and he said, "I think I might be a bit too rough in the bedroom for you. I don't think you'd be able to handle it." Oh, oh, sweet boy. Oh, he thinks a lot of himself. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, first of all, by the look of him, I was like, I could understand that. But my response, which I was very happy with, is don't think you know what I like. (laughs) (laughs) This has been a date, dude. (laughs) 
And, but more in like, a, I mean, frankly, in, I, I mean, obviously there's, we, I know you've talked about sex on the podcast. There are things I can and cannot do or can't do for long, Yeah, but that doesn't mean style-wise. I don't like that. <laughs> I feel like he just like shared with you he has a lack of imagination more than anything else. Yeah, it's like I'm flexible too. <laughs> I mean, Eller Stainless has its benefits. <laughs> yeah, like look, I really can't stay in certain positions very long because you know the joints do that gelling thing, or uh, or they're just too loose thing, and which means uh, variety. That <laughs> doesn't just, mean bad. It means variety. Exciting. <laughs> I am capable. Um, and also I said, you know, sensitive is also a good thing. It means that touch feels better to me. And so we did go on a few more dates. I honestly don't remember why I ended, but that wasn't the reason. And uh, I just loved that conversation. It was fabulous. That is a fantastic share. Thank you. I love that. So um, after a sex store, we're going to go over to college. And uh, just because I just did an interview with someone, or didn't just, I mean, we're, the podcast is a year old, so happy birthday to us. Yay! But like, yay! Um, the second interview I did was a girl who was heading over to college, and her illness and disability was a huge question mark for which campus to go to, whether campus living was going to be able to accommodate her cane or a future wheelchair, um, if the campus was actually set up remotely ADA, if she was near enough to family. I mean, like, there are so many things to consider when you're disabled and going off to college. Like, I mean, I remember going to college and I refused to get the parking placard. Like, it was almost 20 years after I should have gotten it that I got it. But I would be with Canes for, like, three months. And my campus was not set up well for for what I was dealing with. And did you have any, like, questions when you were going off to college? So again, it was an awkward period of time for me because I obviously had pain. I knew something was up. I was not diagnosed until the middle of college. Uh, but yeah, it's, I love that you're asking these questions because I'll be honest, in my younger years, it was not, they were not conscious decisions because I wasn't very obviously disabled, but I'm sure that they, they played a role. So I went to a very small college. I went to Sarah Lawrence College, which is 1,200 people. Oh, my gosh. Of course you did. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, the most amazing academic institution in my mind because so it was... So jealous. I am so jealous. <laughs> it would be so up your alley. It was, it was yeah. amazing. People are a little out there. That's that's for damn sure. But, uh, you know, 15-person classes, top the other. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you got to do... Um, conference projects with each one, which meant like your own sort of internship that you created for each class. And um, it was obviously a small campus because it's 1,200 people. Uh, and that was really great for me since, especially it being in New York, it, Sarah Lawrence College is right outside New York City in a beautiful little town. Uh, you know, then, and it, being in New York, it has four seasons. And even though it's not as bad as the snowfall we get in upstate New York where I now live, it still gets really freaking cold and really freaking hot. <laughs> and if I have to be outside one for a long time, I'm obviously very sensitive and that's going to affect my joints. Um, but then also the walking in that weather. And I mean, you can't avoid it anyway. You just go outside and the temperature, excuse me, the temperature. <laughs> well, I'm drinking a lot of water right now. I'm very Real life. <laughs> <laughs> Real life. Um, yeah. So, so having a small campus was, uh, like it, it really had, it, it put me at ease. So like when I was in a lot of pain, I didn't have to go too far. Um, I was able to park really close as well because Sarah Lawrence is like on a big hill. So that, um, was not convenient if I had to walk up every day, all day. It just felt like hills. Um, I'm trying to think of other things. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I feel like I can't give as useful feedback in that I didn't, I wasn't thankfully disabled in a way where it had that big an impact. It just was more like comfort. But I will say something about my classes, having fibro and hypermobility. Um, I was, in addition to pre-med, I was like a neuropsychology major. Um, and it made so much sense <laughs> given what was going on with my body. I didn't even know at the time. 
And I took a psychoneuroimmunology class. God, that's a long name. I, I, I'm a little lost on <laughs> help. Like you just told me I was smart and then you throw words like that around and make me feel awful? Come on now. I haven't had coffee yet. Yeah, well, yeah, it's a lot earlier for you. Um, so in this class, it basically translated to the study of stress and how it affects the body. And it just so happened that during this semester was when I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia. And I wasn't even looking to be diagnosed. Maybe I saw more doctors. I'm not sure. I'm sure there was an influence. But um, obviously, a lot of our conditions, uh, if not by genetics solely, uh, our conditions are usually caused by physical and or chronic uh, mental stress. Um, I know that mine certainly was in addition to just being born with loose joints. And... So as I'm going through this curriculum, and one of the books that really struck me was called, I think, Why Do Zebras Have Stripes? I don't remember why that was the title, but it's a great book and everyone should read it. That's all I remember. It is, though, it goes through in serious detail that's very digestible, like the science behind why stress affects your body the way it does and how it can lead to illnesses. And so I had my conference project, you know, my independent um, study, and we had to present at the end of the semester. At this point, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia and, you know, crying and like also epiphanies like, oh, this all makes sense. And um, my conference project, while I actually can't remember exactly what I did it on, but I'm sure it was stress related to fibro. Uh, the little performer and me decided to do something different. Instead of just sitting there uh, reading my paper, which everyone else was doing in this round table of like 12 people, I decided to read my paper while walking around the table. And I said, this is part of my presentation because I have fibromyalgia and I cannot sit still in this little chair for that long. It hurts. I feel sensitive. Um, I just get really restless and it, it, you know, can impede on other things. Uh, so I walked around and apparently, uh, that, um, was notable (laughs) (laughs) the class. Uh, I just remember, um, I don't know. I I remember that presentation really well. And I felt like there were times where I had to keep tears back. Cause it was, it was new for me and I was like 20 years old and thinking, wow, this is, uh, this is what my life is going to be life and like, and it's probably going to get worse. I, I so hear you. I like, I was wrongly diagnosed with lupus and, um, at that time I'm old when I was diagnosed and I was young, um, it was, they were very clear that this was like a massive life sense. Not that all of you with lupus are not going through stuff, but they were like telling me I was going to die in 10 years was basically what the doctor was telling my dad and I. And that really started changing like some life goals a bit. And before that I'd had, um, I had like three or four, I've had seven knee surgeries by the time I was like 21. And the doctor was telling my parents, because I was a ballerina at the time, <laughs> and they told my parents, well, she can either dance now, and she won't walk after she's 18, or she can stop dancing, we do these surgeries, and she'll be able to walk till she's 30. He was only off by, like, six years. I mean, that's, that was actually an impressive little, like, <laughs> I, he might have had tarot cards or crystal ball, I don't know. Um, but I the funny thing was, is, you know, like I was 16, I was a kid and not that, you know, you 16 year olds listening aren't like super awesome, but I I feel like I really did not have a grasp on what my life was going to be. And I was like, well, fuck it. I'll dance. I like (laughs) go out burning, right? Like shine bright. And, um, my dad was crying and I couldn't figure out why I was like, okay, so I'll be in a wheelchair after that. Like I'll dance. I'll love it. I'll hit the wall and then I'll be in a wheelchair and I'll run over people who annoy me. Like, I don't get the downside here. Like, I, I guess I, like I've been sick my whole life. I've been in and out of surgeries, in and out of hospitals my whole life. So it's always been like, like, you know, I, I try to like look at my dogs as inspiration. Like 
stuff goes down, you shake it off, you handle it, and, like, you keep moving with three legs. Like, what? And my dad was so upset. And he was like, how is she going to have a normal life? How is she? And I was like, I'm sorry, have you met your daughter? I'm never going to be normal. Like, where did you get the idea of normal here? This was never going to happen. But he was so sad and scared that I wasn't going to have a normal life. I wouldn't, like, in his idea, I was going to become a teacher. I was going to get married. I was going to have kids. Um, granted, fair, I kind of did all those things, but <laughs> I really took a long way around. Um, but like, he couldn't visualize what my life would look like if I was disabled and in a wheelchair. And it was, it was shocking to me because he was having a much harder time with this than I was. But that yeah. definitely changed a lot. Like I, I, I did quit ballet, not my choice. My parents chose for me. <laughs> they made a very clear decision. Um, and that was a big change too, was that I was going to be a ballerina. So I had no interest in school. Like I just barely skated by. And then all of a sudden I wasn't going to be a ballerina. I'm like at those classes, I should be um, really kind of starting to pay attention to those. <laughs> and I, if I had kept dancing, I wouldn't have gone to college. Like all the stuff that is the worst thing ever, like ended up really I mean, like, kind of guiding my choices, <laughs> but I, they were definitely guided by physical limitations. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I tell people that uh, my body stopped me, or my body chose for me when people ask why I stopped dancing, or at least the way I did at 18. I did continue a little throughout college, but clearly it was on its way out. <laughs> um, but, I, I mean, I had a somewhat similar experience. I mean, thankfully, it wasn't that I'm not going to walk, but when I was let's see, I first started going to specialists at 12 because I had this feeling in my right shoulder like it was being sawed off every so often. And I had, you know, every test there is. No one's actually tested me for EDS, but, you know, RA, MS, lupus, um, <sighs> all the stuff, all the time, these pediatric Lyme's disease. Like, I'm sure you got tested for Lyme's with your symptom levels. Yeah, Lyme, yeah. definitely. I lived in the woods. So. Yeah, I mean, like, I just feel like we all should just get like honorary PhDs and MDs at the end of a chronic illness like diagnosis journey. <laughs> yeah, I can see that happening. Um, yeah, so tested for all the multiple times and they couldn't figure out anything. And, you know, of course, my dad, even to this day, I'll be honest, you know, he's like, she's got to be a hypochondriac. Like, what's going on? And I was like, well, he told me this doctor, let's say at 14 years old, you shouldn't be a dancer. And my response was, you shouldn't be a doctor. Because I was like, you can't, that's my identity. You can't All right, listeners, does anyone see why I like her so much? <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, eventually, again, he started being, I mean, he had, uh, ended up being right as well. Uh, but I did make it to 18. Uh, I did get to fulfill a lot of my dance, I guess, goals, which is great. Uh, I mean, the moment I got on point shoes, my mom was happy because apparently that's what she couldn't surpass because she had big boobs. Like literally that's the reason they told her she couldn't go on. Yeah, I know. Well, they're flattened, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this is post-reduction. Like I had surgery to get rid of these suckers. Still, they, they came back. She was, I guess, let's say 12 or 13 and they popped out early and they told her back in like 19, I, 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 I don't know. Be Sorry. nice. Be very <laughs> nice to your mother. <laughs> 1970 or something like Yeah, actually, exactly. Like 1970, 71. The days um, of the Balanchine baby, but, where we were all supposed to be 110 pounds at yeah. the most. It was supposed to be more like 89 to 90. Like, we were supposed to be 12-year-old boys. Yeah, that lasted into the 90s when I was doing it. Like, you were told if you were 110 pounds that you needed to not be. I'm so, Missy Copeland is my, like, happiness right now. <laughs> I love her. By the way, I don't know what you're talking about with the 90s. That continued. <laughs> I mean, oh, well, no, I'm just thinking about, like, right, right now. So, like, at the end of my ballet career, um, SF Ballet, and I will tie this back because body image is absolutely part of, like, all of this. And there's going to be a panel we're going to be doing very soon on body image. Um, because that just took up, like, 90% of my brain was, did I eat? Do I, can I throw it up? Can I exercise it off? Uh, and then going back to 400 calories, like, it was awful. I was, I, uh, the pictures of me look like gray and ribs. So I will absolutely put this in the same category as chronic illness because that was 
that was probably more damaging to my body than anything my body was doing to me. But like at the end of my career, the SFLA actually hired a prima ballerina who had boobs and hips and looked like, you know, she was a normal human. And that was so like, I, I cried. I was sitting there watching, um, I can't remember which ballet it was, but I was watching it. And I just started to cry because she looked like me up there, like, like someone that could be healthy up there. And, my daughter, because your children will always do the thing you're terrified of. After all of that, like eating disorder stuff, I was like keeping her as far away from dance as I could. I was like, no, no, look, look, there's martial arts. Like there are things you can do that don't require you to look a certain way. Can we do those? Soccer sounds great. Martial art. Let's, let's break some boards, honey. That's awesome. Like get me a badass. Not that ballerinas are not badasses, man. You guys are, well, we, we all were badasses. Um, but she found So You Think You Can Dance and a love affair was born. And so, oh. yeah. And so now I'm like actually like involved in the dance world again. And I'm watching the dancers that are on So You Think You Can Dance. And they look healthy and human. And <laughs> Missy Copeland is out there. So, I mean, I'm sorry. I didn't mean like like when you were dancing, it wasn't still like that. I just mean like right now I'm seeing this shift in the dance world, even the ballet world into you know what? Our dancers might be able to dance longer and stronger if they, I don't know, ate. If they didn't just rely on like cigarettes, caffeine, and vitamin B shots, like maybe. Yeah, seriously. Actually, I realized that ties into, I guess, two years before the end of my career, you could say. When I was, so from the age of eight to 16, I was with a ballet company, um, the Westchester Ballet Company, and uh, and I was doing really well. And at 16, I was demoted from a solo's role to like a sort of group solo role. Uh, and I asked my director why, who point, like, I'll, I'll just say, like, I still have nightmares about her. Oh. Uh, but, like, I'm, I'm actually traumatized by that. Um, but um, yeah, so I asked why. And she said, so this goes in with both things. Mm -hmm. She said, I think your ankles are a little too weak and you should work on them. And I'm thinking to myself, they're fucking strong. What are you talking about, woman? <laughs> like, I mean, I had very strong point and legs. I actually don't remember if they were weak, but I don't remember showing that I had a problem with my ankles. But then she followed that up with, mm -hmm. and you might want to lose some weight. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that, that one. Yeah, that one. Yeah. And by the way, I was, I started working out at the gym also at that point, and I believe I was 7% body fat. Now I am muscular. I was heavier, but like if you look, I look at pictures of me now and I go, "What?" Yeah, it's absurd. It is absurd. Oh my god! Yeah, I, I hear you. So <laughs> my heart, I, I hear you. Yeah, we yeah. had a dance instructor with a baton. <laughs> boom, boom. Oh, boom. that I'm very happy I didn't have that. I heard about it. Like, oh. I mentally whipped. No literal. <laughs> um, what's it called? Like flagellate. Yeah, no. Flat. She would go by. Whack. <laughs> Yeah. Oh God. I've heard about that. My mom had that too. Uh, but so thinking of, of Missy Copeland. So my last two years, I went to Alvin Ailey in New York city. I was very lucky to be accepted into Alvin Ailey and they love their strong women. Yeah. It, I didn't realize until I went to Alvin Ailey that you can be, um, you, you can be hard and like a really good teacher and create beautiful performers without being evil. I didn't know that was a thing because I grew up with what my mom called ballet Nazis, which sounds really bad. No, it's fairly, uh, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, it was too late for my joints. So I did Ailey for two years and, and, you know, there you go. Um, but it's interesting, you know, we're talking about ballet as, and the world of ballet is its own, as its own Michigas. That means craziness. And, <laughs> um, but it is so related to what we go through because it's this world that is just, it's just so frankly fucked up. Mm -hmm. And then people like us, we, we become like fucked up on another level <laughs> it's like, and we don't know how to handle it. And then it makes us worse. And it's so, it's just so sad. And I do think, I don't want to speak for you. It has made me a much stronger person emotionally. I also do really well with critique now that, that is good. Um, but, uh, yeah. And I, I mean, when I talk about fibro and hypermobility and people ask me why I'm like, well, you know, there is no technical reason why. However, 
15 years of serious ballet dancing, pretty sure it's related. It could be. Yeah. <laughs> so much there. Sure. Yeah. But it is interesting, like, how our bodies have really, like, made those choices for us. And in some ways, like, I feel like, you know, going back to what you had said, which is not all the choices were conscious. Like, a lot of, like, what I remained interested in and didn't get interested in was very much just, like, a scooching away from something that I thought wasn't for me because it was not good. Like I never did sports. I tried to run once because I had a crush on the person on the running team in high school. And that was pitiful. That was, that was <laughs> sad. I, I still to this day maintain if I am running, you need to start because something is really, really wrong. Like there's <laughs> shit has gone down. If I'm running, like there's, there's something chasing something bad, <laughs> like just start running. <laughs> Oh, that's what you mean. Yes, sorry, that's that was a long way around to that. There's the cutest T-shirt of someone like running, and behind them was a T-Rex, and it says, "If I'm running, you need to run too." <laughs> like that, run when chased. That's it. I love that. Yes. Okay, so I want to go to something because it's something I'm dealing with right now, and um, it's huge for my family. Which is, where do you live when you have a chronic illness? And I have POTS. And I have Ehlers Danlos, and I have fibromyalgia, and I have mast cell activation, and scoliosis. Yes, I was. I'm starting to forget now. Like I need a list because like dementia seems to be setting in too, and there's all these acronyms. Um, but I just spent some time in Seattle, which is my place, <laughs> and I spent time on the islands, which is really my place. That like super rural, like chill speed of life, and. My need for medication dropped significantly the time I was there. It was cool. It was not cool as in, like, cool, but it was, like, the temperature was cool and cloud cover. And there were trees everywhere. And my inflammation levels dropped so significantly I was shocked. And then I came back home where I live in um, California, which is, you know, I'm sorry, it's lovely compared to the East Coast as far as, like, same temperatures that stay pretty similar. Like we don't get seasons. Like it could be December and you're wearing a t-shirt. Um, but my body within 24 hours went absolutely insane. And I had like 122 pulse rate sitting down and yeah, that expression right there, that, um, <laughs> it was not good. And then I hadn't had massive dislocations the whole time I was in Seattle. I only had like a wrist dislocation and a shoulder dislocation. I know it sounds like a lot of you don't have other stainless, but those are things I can just snap right back and continue on. I did not need a wheelchair the whole time I was there. I actually got to live as a normal, like, like, in a way that I'd never lived before where I didn't have to think about my disorder all the time because it wasn't a factor all the time. And then coming back here, I had a rib dislocation, a full foot dislocation, a tibia dislocation, um, shoulder, wrist, I think that's it, jaw. And um, it was all within like 48 hours. So I was like, fuck. And my husband and I are annoying. We've been married for 12 years. We don't fight often. We've had like four fights our entire marriage. We've had disagreements and arguments, but we don't fight. We fought because it was so hard for me to come back here to this body and, and to be in this situation where all of a sudden I'm really sick and limited again. Like, it's been difficult. So now it's like, can we move? Is that even a possibility? Like, could we live up there? Would that be something that would only work for a little while? And then I would have moved my whole family up there for no reason. And like, there's so many factors and I'm having a really hard time even deciding what to ask for. Like, does that make sense? <laughs> like, I'm sorry, I just totally rambled. Total sense. You have, you have like, no idea. Um, dealing with I... so much here. Like, we actually moved from um, a house that we we liked in an area that I really enjoyed because it was close to everything. But we moved over here because I couldn't take my daughter to school anymore. So she's missing school. And my poor mother was having to drive about an hour and a half each way to come over and help. So we did this scary big move over to be closer to my family. And that was hard because the fallout from the kids, the fallout from everyone around us, um, it, it was really a lot of guilt because we did it for me. And it was like, shit. <laughs> I mean, also part of it was we couldn't afford where we were living anymore because I couldn't work anymore. So we moved to a less expensive area. But, God, that was like a lot of decisions that were all based on 
on what was going on physically for me. And it was like, but we don't know how long physically it'll be like that. It could get a whole lot worse. I could level out. And then we would have done this for nothing. Like the guilt and stress has been extreme on this. Yeah, I, I can absolutely understand why. And, you know, I hope I don't get a lot of rolled eyes for saying this, but <laughs> I really do believe that like anything is possible, even if it just means within certain, you know, yeah. boundaries to consider. But but really anything's possible and it's always possible to move. There's just considerations around it. And personally, the first thing I would I would think of is, well, what is it worth? You know, it's um so you this is this has been a lot harder for you. And and what if it does get worse? What does that mean for your family? What does that mean for your marriage? And even if there is some resentment, I mean hopefully there isn't. No one's going to be like, I don't understand. Like, oh, well, they don't understand, right? You, like, you personally, but if they know, and I mean, you can actually see what happens to you. <laughs> I wish you didn't, but unfortunately, you can see that. They know <laughs> suffering. I, I will actually say it's fortunate. It is fantastically lucky that you can see the dislocations because I get treated very differently than someone who goes in saying, I'm in pain. Then, I'm in pain. Look, my arm is hanging out of its socket <laughs> here. <laughs> like, it really helps with people taking you seriously or like wearing the Apple watch where I could just show like as I was um, going through TSA and my heart rate went up to 200 standing in line with my sticks. So I already have my canes and I could just show the person my like heart rate and it's like, well, miss, we're going to like move you on over here to the special lane. My son is cackling. He's like, this is definitely the way to travel. Travel with like the spoony mom. Like we get preferential treatment. The pros and cons. There are, there are some, like I've always said my wheelchair rocks my life because when someone gets in front of me and they're annoying about it, I can just like get right to their, their ankles. And I look like a Disney character's mom. So who's going to yell at me? Like, <laughs> they fan me eyes. I mean, like, I could not intimidate anything if I tried. Like, it's just how this goes. You're adorable. Yeah, so if you're going to be adorable and you're frustrated and pissed off, like, you might as well use adorable to your advantage, right? <laughs> make it work. Tim Gunn, make it work. Tim Gunn. Good quote. <laughs> Thank you. I use that and Dory just keeps swimming more often than I can say. <laughs> Oh, Dory. Dory is truly the best quote, so. Yes. <laughs> I My son was a toddler when that came out. I can't tell you how that helped me survive. <laughs> just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. It's all good. That reminds me I should start swimming. Um, anyway. <laughs> right there keep, with you. <laughs> I keep forgetting I finally moved somewhere where there is a pool pretty close to me, and that's what all my doctors have said. You should pretty much just swim, uh, and I haven't done it yet. On my list. I, I will have to come visit you. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, not my, something I do habitually. Yeah, it's not something I think that I'm able to do, and I should go do that. Um, but I wanted to go to the back to the temperature discussion because in my relative world of my illnesses, temperature is actually the worst thing. It is what influences me the most within the life that I currently live. Obviously, if I dance still, that would be different. Um, but a little synopsis is that. Uh, I recently moved to Rochester, which is upstate New York, like basically the Canadian border. Um, so it is, I mean, what is it? It's August 23rd. It's summer and it's beautiful here. Uh, but first of all, I moved here on the hottest day of the year, which was a hundred degrees here and it was humid. Yeah. I was like, I'm moving upstate. The perk is that it's colder. Nope. Um, <laughs> And uh, long story short, the air conditionings blew out and we slept on the floor in front of like one fan that we had left. And anyway, that was awful. I didn't sleep, actually. Also, my joints were hurting. It was terrible. Uh, and so... How romantic. Been... What a romantic first night in your new place. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I like, I thought in theory it could be romantically when you talk about it, but it really wasn't at all. Um and uh, so anyway, it's been a humid summer, which is rare, apparently. And that has been just terrible, like really, really terrible for me. First of all, there's the whole sensitive thing. I also have big hair. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I hate 
heat and humidity more than anything. If there is a hair touching the back of my neck when I have, I'm in that kind of environment, um, first I'm a bitch and then I might pass out. Those, those are the, that's how that goes. Luckily I don't normally pass out. It might be an in-between of like, I feel really faint and will get me out of it somehow. I don't remember the last time I passed out and it's a mini pass out. It's not like I'm gone for a long time. It's like, ah, I fell over and I forgot what just happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's been annoying. And then there's, uh, the drastic winter that's going to happen. It's like New York city on steroids right now. And, uh, the weather in New York city, I mean, and I, uh, you know, I hate, I know my husband doesn't like me saying this, but we didn't choose to live here. And I really didn't choose to live here. So the last time I was on the podcast, we were waiting to hear where he was going to get matched. So he's a, a pediatrician and he's doing his, um, GI fellowship in, uh, university of Rochester here. And it's wonderful. It's a fabulous fellowship. I'm very happy for him. He did apply to only places in the North, which was specifically for me because he knew I couldn't take extreme heat and humidity. So literally the South wasn't an option at all. And I appreciated that he took it into consideration, but then it also went to the extreme of now it's going to get very, very cold, which I can handle better than humid heat. Mm -hmm. but still, I'm not looking forward. And then, um, you know, so, so that aside, uh, so I just like to say, just to point it out there in case he or anyone gets offended that I'm really liking it here. Otherwise, <laughs> he's at a really good fellowship. He's super happy. And that's really what matters. Um, we're here for at least three years and then we'll see what happens. But when we did get matched here, I said to him, look, I know you don't have total control over what happens next with a job. But if possible, can we please try to make it a priority to be somewhere warm and dry? Because right after he got matched, I was reminded of how important that is. And just like you with Seattle, mm -hmm. um, I went to Israel uh, just for a quick vacation uh, because I needed it. And I found you. As one does, goes to Israel for a quick vacation, yes. <laughs> I used to live there. So, like, I also knew I could do it for cheap. Like, I just stayed with people and stuff. I, I'm um, deeply je jealous right now. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I, I do love to travel. That's, I know we've talked about Spoonie travel. And while I do have, um, certain things I keep in mind and, and precautions. I love travel so much that it is not something I've cut back on because of being a spoonie. Maybe, maybe where I go, but Israel, fabulous. And I was there in, in February when it was like 60 to 75 degrees and dry. So that was fabulous. I spent 10 days there and I barely had any pain at all. You know, and and it's also just a really beautiful country, like seriously beautiful. And the food. Uh, oh my god, the food! Everything's so fresh. Like cucumbers have flavor. Did what? you know that? No. Yeah. <laughs> Everything is unbelievable. I remember when I came back from living in Israel, I actually got legitimately upset when I started having the fruits and vegetables in America because I was so spoiled. Um, but anyway, uh, so yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed my time in Israel. And then I came back. Oh, and it was pouring. It was like, a, it actually was, I think, called a monsoon when I came back. Uh, I got into quite a depression from that. And I was in so much pain. And that's when I said to him, I was like, Zev, I, I, I know we don't have a lot of control over this, but we do. We technically do. Like I said, possibility. I think this needs to be a priority later. So I'm dying here. <laughs> this is not going well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, this affects everyone in your family. So we are at an hour. So what I'm going to say at this point is tune in next week for part two because we're going to be talking about deciding on marriage and if you want to have kids or not, which is totally a decision, people. Please don't ever let anyone tell you this is not a choice. Make choices. Um, we're going to talk about pets and retirement and travel. So tune in next week and say nice things about us on iTunes. And um, let's see what else. Oh, we have a Patreon account, Patreon account. I will never know how to say this correctly, but please go and support us because being sick in America is expensive. All right. Tune in next week. Thank you.